0: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. the poster said? See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG 13. Life's busy. Take this deck. There's heaps to do on it, like um, polishing off this wine. That's tough. Life's pretty good with a Trex deck. Composite decking with no hard maintenance. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. This is Trailblazers with Kirsty Stamway. Are you- Koutou, Welcome into Trailblazers. It's great to have you here for another week. This week we are joined by a very special guest straight out of MIQ quarantine in Christchurch, our hammer thrower who's just returned from the Tokyo Olympics. Uh, she goes by the name of Julia Ratcliffe. She was born and raised in Hamilton and she has a very interesting story. Julia, thanks for joining us. Uh, first and foremost, I think uh, the question most people will want to know straight away How on earth did you get into hammer throw in the first place? Where did it all start for you?
1: Uh, It all started with Dave. Uh, For those at home listening, Dave is my dad. Uh, He's been my coach for my whole career. So I started throwing when I was 11 or 12, and I'm 28 now. So it's been um, a pretty long journey together, which has been really fun. Um, He came out from England with some friends when he was about 26 or 27 and ended up teaching at Harvard High School. Uh, and so Haura is was a big hub for athletics in the 70s when he came out, and it still is today. Uh, but yeah, he kind of got roped into everything he could get his hands on and really loved the sport and did quite a bit of coaching with high school athletes. Um, he was mostly coaching runners and jumpers, uh, but that kind of wasn't to be, <laughs> given my, uh, my physical strength. So um, yeah, he, he got me and my sister into athletics when we were really young, five or six, it took us along to... Um, the run jump throw program at Hamilton City Hawks and that was kind of you just chuck your kids in and they do everything um, and then when I was about 11 or 12 he brought home a hammer and I had absolutely no idea what it was he kind of just left it on my bed It's like I've got you a present and he was like oh he never gets me reading a present so I was quite excited um, and I was like what the heck is this dad like, this looks like more hard work um, <laughs> but he took me down to pirate, um taught me some of the footwork Um, Yeah, and it kind of just went from there. He actually didn't have much experience in the hammer throw. I think he'd picked it up once or twice for fun as a Masters athlete. Um, But yeah, didn't really have much uh, experience with coaching it or doing it himself and just kind of got on the internet and contacted a few coaches around the world and got going from there.
0: How difficult was it to pick up at such a young age? Because for me, when I watched you in Tokyo, I really got a sense of how technical it was so did you struggle a little bit early on?
1: I think it was a really a real big advantage um, picking it up at a young age because it does take so long to learn the technique. Um, it's such an unnatural movement. It doesn't really mimic anything that you do in daily life. And so um, it's so rhythm-based and it's something that you just need to put the hours into. And as a kid, compared to a shot put, a javelin, a discus which you kind of have direct control over it in your hand because that's where the weight is. The hammer's at the end of a wire and so you have to be connected to the entire implement the whole time um, which is really tricky especially when you first pick it up. So it felt pretty gumby um, when I when I first got into it.
0: Is it true that your dad built you a cage at home to practice with?
1: Yeah yep so he, um, him and mum moved out to a lifestyle block. So we used to live about 400 metres from Porritt Stadium. And so <laughs> I think that was a, on uh, on Dad's part, I think that might've been a sneaky ploy to get his kids into athletics. Um, yes, we you we were every day? Yeah, basically. Um, we were either running up and down the hills or throwing or doing some sort of athletics training. Um, and so then my dad moved out to a lifestyle block probably about five or six years ago now. Um, and it kind of coincided with me taking a year off from Princeton to come home and try and qualify for the Rio Olympics. Uh, and so, dad said, well, you know, so if we've moved away from Porritt, we need to be able to throw in the backyard. Um, and they actually ended up quite close to Porritt. Um, so they were only about a 10 minute drive away, but uh, dad wanted what dad wanted. And uh, so he got uh, a pad of concrete laid in the backyard and got these two posts put in, probably six meter posts, um, and he's strung up a net between them so I don't hit the house. Uh, definitely would have hit the house if the net wasn't there. Um, but when I first got home, um, I, I did my first training session, and because I wasn't there when he was kind of telling the builder where to put it, um, he put one of the poles a bit too close, and so even even good throws were hitting the post on the way out. And so I was like, Dad, look, I, I can't throw because otherwise I'm just going to throw into the neighbour's paddock every time if I have to like rotate myself. And so they had to cut down one of the six metre poles and uh, repost it. So (laughs) I think um, mum wasn't too stoked about that, but her house is in one piece, so worth it at the end of the day.
0: I was actually going to ask you about your mum. Obviously, we hear a lot about your dad, Dave, who's awesome, and we'll come back to him. But what about your mum, Sue, and your older sisters? What sacrifices have they made for you? Um, They've just been
1: absolute champs. eh? Like, it's been... A whole family affair because dad and I have been in it together and um it's really dominated a lot of family life and they've really sacrificed kind of family time together I don't remember the last time that we got more than a week together where I was not training um and often like over summer when people want to go away that's peak athletic season and so even just having time at home was always kind of punctuated with, oh we've got to go training we've got to do this we've got to do this um yeah so they've They've been absolute champs, and really, really grateful for their support. Um, I was just thinking, kind of, in the light of um, Liv Podmore's um, passing, that uh, I'm really grateful to have had them because they just thought, "Oh, you know, it's a bit stink sometimes that they don't seem to want to be too involved in it." Um, if I if I was having a really bad day. They'd be like, actually, no one cares about the hammer throw, Julia. Like, stop it. No one cares. And I was kind of like, that's quite strange. But they don't really care. But now, um, just super grateful to have had those people to keep me grounded when things aren't going so well, um, to, to say, hey, actually, like, you care about this a lot, but, like, it's not actually, in the scheme of things, a huge, like, No one's no one's going to die. No one's shooting at you, like... This is something that you really want, obviously, but it's uh, at the end of the day, we, like, we don't care how far you can throw the hammer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they've been just such awesome support people through that time, um, or through my whole career, um, to just kind of keep me grounded. And sometimes it took a shove off the cliff. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. but um, Yeah, they've just been just been awesome. And I'm so grateful to have had some people that are close to me, but actually don't really, like they're super proud and they've always been really supportive, but like they don't they don't care how far I
0: throw. Like Thank you so much for sharing that. Um it's really, really special. You're listening to Trailblazers here on ECNZ. My guest today is Julia Ratcliffe. We've heard about just how she got into hammer throwing in the first place. Coming up after this, I want to ask Julia all about her college career in America. She went to Princeton University, the Ivy League School, and we'll find out all about it right after this. You're listening to Trailblazers with Kirsty Stamway. Welcome back into Trailblazers here on SENZ. I'm joined today by our Olympic hammer thrower, Julia Ratcliffe. And Julia, one of the things I've been wanting to talk to you about for such a long time now, but I've never had the chance, is your college career in America. You went to Princeton University. I remember hearing about Princeton for the first time on the movie A Cinderella Story. I think I was 12 years old. Go figure. But we've seen it in movies, TV shows, and pop culture. So how did you end up at Princeton? Uh, so I guess my
1: dad kind of um, helped me a lot. My Both my parents did. Um, but I had a few girls from high school in the years above me go over to the States on field hockey scholarships. Um, and so... Yeah, I think we got the idea from there and it looked like heaps of fun, um, you'd get obviously a lot of your tuition paid for and yeah it just looked like a big adventure really. So dad um, is really good at research, uh, very good at research, so um, did a heap of research into the cr- recruitment process which as a Kiwi can be a bit intimidating but luckily a few consultancy agencies have popped up to help with that process now since, uh, since I went through but yeah, he kind of, we didn't really know what my standing was going to be, like how, like if people would want, want me or not in the States. So um, there was this college website that you could put your distances or your performances into and college coaches could look at you and say, like kind of contact you and say like, yes, we'd like to recruit you. And so dad put my distances in and yeah, we we had quite a few responses and that was only in like fifth form year eleven. And so there, um, I, I wasn't looking to go overseas until after seventh form. So, yeah, he uh, he, that was quite encouraging to know. Um, and so we kind of started looking a bit higher and wondering, like, oh, well, maybe we could look at those top universities. And I uh, really, I knew I wanted to study economics. And so Dad kind of got on the internet and said, "What's the best school in in, the, in America to uh, to study economics?" At? Um yeah, and Princeton was kind of came out the top. And so he was. I applied to a few different colleges, but um, that was definitely the one that I wanted to go to. And they had another hammer throw of Connor McCullough go through before me. And so he said, oh, well, you know, obviously the coaching's all right. And um, the the facility, they'd basically just made him a purpose-built facility because where he was was throwing kind of, he was clearing the paddock. Um, And so it was kind of a brand new facility for me to throw out of, um, really good economics program. And so, yeah, we went through the recruitment process, had to do all the SAT exams and things like that, um, took a few calls with different coaches and narrowed it down. But I did um, what they call, I think, early decision with Princeton. And so that's saying, like, if they, if they let you know that they're looking at you or really want you, then you can say, oh, yeah, if you'll have me, I'll come. And so we, we did that to kind of lock something in and then basically, like, withdrew my applications from the other universities. Which was funny, because when I got there, everyone, of course, all these chronic overachievers were like, how many universities did you get into? And I was like, oh, just this one. (laughs) So that was quite funny. Um, But yeah, it was an incredible experience. It was so much fun. It was super hard work. And I had to um, be really kind of strict on myself in terms of priorities. Um, And sleep was a big one, because I know that if I don't get enough sleep, I get sick quite quickly. Can't train, can't do my study, life falls apart. And so um, I think that stood me in really good stead to kind of keep, keep everything on balance. And obviously I messed it up sometimes, but um, I'd be kind of doing homework with, with some classmates and I'd say, oh, you know, like, well, we've done 90% of it. We're going to get a good grade. Uh, and they'd be willing to stay up till like 2am to kind of get it done. And I'm like, mm, it's 10 o'clock, it's bedtime. Like, I'm just going to leave it there and be happy with what I've done because uh, I've got training tomorrow. And so, and some of them just couldn't understand that trade off. Like they couldn't understand that, like you must go to the bitter end. And so, so it was quite, it was quite an intense culture. Um, but it was awesome to be part of, um, just the, the amazing people that I met over there. Just some incredible, incredible people. Um, just really talented, all round people. And a lot of people that have gone on to do some awesome things. And like. Make a big difference in the world. I've got a mate who started, uh, or lots of people do um, from Princeton, but like I've, I have a mate that started a non-profit um, that's like kind of getting literacy into, into schools that don't have the resources, um, literacy programs for like bilingual people um, whose parents maybe don't speak English at home that well so can't help them read and so they go on to do some pretty epic things and so I'm pretty grateful. I had the opportunity to, to meet a lot of talented individuals over there and just had a lot of fun.
0: There's so much to unravel from all of that. Uh, but first and foremost, let's talk about uh, those facilities. Uh, you said there was a purpose-built facility for the person who came before you. So, what were the facilities like in America compared to where you'd been training in New Zealand?
1: So, in Hamilton, where I trained, where I learned to throw the hammer, um, we trained out the back of Pirate Stadium. Um, Dad petitioned. I think it was the council, I always get this wrong, but basically to get um, a decent pad of concrete put in that didn't have heaps of stones in it that wouldn't wreck your shoes really quickly. Um, We've got some of my old cricket cages kind of lashed together um, around the cage to form a bit of a cage. Um, And that's where I learned to throw. Um, The inside of the infield is a soccer stadium or a soccer field as well. And so I put lots of holes in there and the soccer players don't like me very much. So we we train out the back. Um, But yeah, yeah, so compared to Hamilton, um, this facility, it was a really beautiful circle, nice cage, and it was a little bit away from the track. Again, like hammer throws often get chucked out the back in a different facility because it can be hard to accommodate with um, different events going on. Um, it can be done, but <laughs> it is, can be difficult. Um, and so, it was actually quite nice. Like the track was on campus, and then the hammer field was kind of a five ten minute walk, just like over a little um, over the lake and over a little bridge, and basically in this big field all by itself. Um, which was a nice little oasis for hammer throwers and um, to go out and do our training. So that was awesome.
0: What about the experience itself? Uh, Getting on an American college scholarship is the dream for so many athletes in New Zealand. And you got one. Our experiences are only what we see on TV, the parties, the frats. Did you experience any of that or was it just so intense with your education and being a high performing athlete as well?
1: Um, So first, the Ivy League, like Princeton, Harvard, they they don't actually do sports scholarships. So that was, um, they recruit athletes like other colleges do. But then once you've been accepted, the amount of financial help you get is relative to kind of who's supporting you. And so If you're a student that's been accepted to Princeton and you say my parents aren't supporting me, no one's supporting me, you'll get a full ride so you'll get everything paid for tuition board. Um, They might have required you to have an on-campus job for like 10 hours a week or something um, to show that you're kind of helping to work but yeah if you if you couldn't afford it they basically just wanted the best minds from around the world um, and they wanted money to not be an object and so if you like if you were an athlete and you got recruited but your parents were millionaires you wouldn't get any money out of them so it was a means tested system which I actually thought was really good um because it meant that a lot of people that wouldn't have the opportunity to study at those prestigious institutions had the opportunity so I had about two-thirds of it paid for um going through and then in my third year I was an RA as well so had like half my third and board paid for or something so so yeah on the financial side of things it was like there was it a really generous financial aid program. Um, and on the experience side, yeah, like we did have a lot of fun as well. Um, there, was, there was times where it was kind of, you just felt like all you did was study and train. Um, but yeah, again, like the people around me were just so much fun that even when we were working really hard, like it, it was just heaps of fun to be around really bright minds and people that were just, just coming up with these crazy ideas that kind of hadn't even entered my mind and um, the way that different people think. Um, was really cool, um, on the frat side of things like they had a couple of fraternities and sororities but they weren't officially recognized by the universities, um, instead they had what they called eating clubs um, and was like it was called Prospect Ave, and it was just a, like a street um, with like manor houses essentially like down it and so in your third and fourth year you could um, join one of the eating clubs And they kind of all had different stereotypes. So the one that I was in was like the large strong athletes club. So it was like quite a few of the football guys, like some track and field athletes some rowers. Um, Yeah. And so we, that was where you had all your meals. So the first two years you'd be in the dining hall and the second two years you could either stay in the dining hall, go independent or join an eating club. Um, So yeah, that was pretty epic. Like the food was pretty insane. It was kind of what you'd expect, just a lot of protein. Um, (laughs) Sounds amazing. A lot of protein. (laughs) <laughs> and then um at night well, or on, on like the weekends they they'd have most of the clubs had like a tap room downstairs and so they might open up that up to the members or like you could bring guests in and had a bit of a dance floor. So that was kind of where we had all our social life because in America the drinking age is twenty one and so there wasn't much of a bar scene um, around Princeton. So yeah, so that was fun and have some really, really awesome memories of spending a lot of time in that club. Like, you kind of roll in, that's where you have breakfast, you go to training. Um, There's lots of, like, study spaces, so that's where you do study and then that's where you party at night. So, um, yeah, it was kind of a lot of good memories um, in the eating clubs. And
0: Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th We're talking with Julia Ratcliffe here on Trailblazers. Coming up after this, we'll talk about her amazing gold on the Gold Coast at the Commonwealth Games in 2018 and her experience at Tokyo 2020. You're listening to Trailblazers with Kirsty Stamway. Welcome back into Trailblazers here on SENZ. My guest today is the amazing Olympic hammer thrower Julia Ratcliffe. And Julia, I'm going to take you back to 2018 and that gold medal on the Gold Coast. I remember watching you uh, after that event with a New Zealand flag draped around your neck, running around the stadium. But what was the journey like to get there? What did you have to go through to get that gold medal? um
1: so that was a really cool one actually that was um a quite a big journey um, I come off the season before pretty injured and in a pretty dark place mentally and um yeah just kind of wasn't enjoying it had just so much had put so much pressure on myself um kind of yeah was a bit broken physically was trying to graduate Princeton qualify for my first world champs and so this was all in 2017 um and it was just yeah kind of a big time in my life like was moving home um and so it was kind of off to world champs but with my worldly belongings because i was on my way back from america um yeah so came home to new zealand and was just like just really needed a bit of tlc um, and i was really lucky that i could live at home with mom and dad and i had a really awesome support team with high performance sport physios sports psych and uh, mason c gus and definitely they kind of brought me back to life life a little bit fixed me physically and um, got me back to a place where I was just throw um, and it was less about kind of how far I was throwing and more about I get to go out in the backyard with my dad on a sunny day and have a throw like that's pretty cool I do that physically and so coming into the Commonwealth Games I think I was pretty unsure a couple months out whether or not I was even going to qualify Um, and so when I qualified that was just like a really good time in the first place um, and then at the Cornwall Games, like I don't even think I'd looked at the rankings I don't think I'd even knew where I stood and I just went in there and I was just so stoked to be there and to be able to throw and um, be able to wear that silver fern when I mean, a couple of months ago like I didn't know if that was a possibility so um, yeah, halfway through the competition it started raining quite heavily and my sister was watching from London and apparently she said to her mates oh it's raining, that's good Julius from the Waikato. this was good. <laughs> and so um, so yeah, and so managed to to take the win on that one um when a couple of competitors who were ranked higher than me um kind of fell apart a bit. So that was really cool to just to just know that you could go kind of from zero to hero really quickly. And that's a really good reminder that I look back on when things are going really bad is kind of you never know where you're gonna be in a couple of months. Um yeah, and so to kind of just keep going and just keep keep putting one foot in front of the next
0: and surround yourself with people that that bring you up. Where's that gold medal now and how often do you look at it?
1: Oh it's sitting in like a box in our storage cupboard um, at home but I do I do try and take it out as much as I can like I love going to speaking events. I'm um, just getting to share that with people because I I often say in interviews that like sports are quite, quite a selfish thing um, especially individual sports because um, for me I spend you know 95% of my time in the backyard with my dad throwing and not really interacting with that many people and quite tired and grumpy and not a bit of a potato um, and so after after big games and stuff like that that's the time when you get to go out and speak to people share your story kind of hopefully inspire a few people um, yeah and so I try and actually do take it out and even though it's been a few years like people still love to see put them in see um, see the results of a lot of effort and yeah kind of anywhere from primary school to rest homes I've been to so um, it's been it's always really awesome to share your story and it reminds you as an athlete kind of what you're doing is pretty special and that not many people have the courage to to go after their dreams in a big
0: way. Absolutely Uh, but before we get into 2020 and your first Olympic experience I wanted to ask you about some of the challenges you've faced as an athlete and not only that but being an individual athlete where what are some of the challenges you've had to overcome?
1: it's really funny that I ended up in an individual sport because I'm a really team person like I love team sports played hockey and netball through high school and just like froth it, just can't get enough and so yeah it's quite interesting I ended up in an individual sport um, yeah and so I guess it's had its challenges in that they keep quite isolating and quite lonely um, and I probably work best when I'm accountable to other people um, and I find that like knowing that I've got a keep the team going or contribute to a team really motivates me and so yeah it's quite interesting um, but I think in the last couple of years especially I've started seeing my my kind of support network um, through high performance sport my dad and family kind of as my team and those are the people that that I'm like we're all working together towards something and so um, kind of running a few kind of goal like strategy meetings and stuff with my support team so like sports psych physio, S&C, and dad with technical coaching, um, and just kind of thinking of that as my team, and thinking of, like, these are all the people that um, are kind of having inputs to the result that we're trying to achieve, which is throw the hammer further, um, and I'm kind of, like, the leader of the team, and so, yeah, trying to trying to make it more of a, a team um, thing, I think um, that's really a long way of Um, and for some feedback from my team also that like it's really helped their motivation levels as well which is really cool Um, yeah.
0: Well I guess when you're talking about a team it doesn't get much bigger than being part of the wider New Zealand team at the Olympic Games so first and foremost what was it like the moment you found out you were selected and you were going to be an Olympian?
1: Oh it was such a good moment like the I think for me when when I threw um, at nationals and managed to, to throw past the automatic qualifier um, and that really solidified that I was going to go likely given or unless, unless something happened with selection um, that was awesome. Like it was the first throw of nationals and I'd kind of been putting myself through the mental ringer in the couple of days beforehand. I think I was just putting myself under a lot of pressure and was just kind of, you know, had to just bring myself down again and be like, you know what, who cares how it goes? Like you and you've given yourself every opportunity to well. Now you just got to get out of your own way mentally and just let it happen. So, meant um, to do it on the first row and kind of ran over to Dad and Gus and see and um, just kind of whispering like, "We're going to Tokyo. We're going to Tokyo." Like, it wasn't that I couldn't believe it. It was just like I like, couldn't believe that I'd finally actually managed to do it. Like I knew I could, but it was just a matter of executing and having the right conditions on the day. And so, yeah, that was pretty spilt to just have all that weight taken off of like knowing you could do something but actually having to to execute it when it matters though,
0: so, yeah. So you've been selected, you've officially qualified and you'll make your way to Tokyo for the Olympic Games. When you first got off the plane, what were you expecting from the Olympics given the fact it was a Games like no other?
1: I think we've been given a lot of really good information about the protocols we're going to have to follow. And so I guess it's like planes and adventures um, but I think we we all knew that it was going to be a lot of logistics that we had to be across constantly and so we were kind of at that mode a lot of the time I think and so making sure that we had the stuff that we needed to leave the country, making sure that we had the stuff we needed to arrive in the country and all the documentation and so I think that took up a lot of mental energy um, and we had a training camp in Saga for the first two weeks so there wasn't actually kind of a lot of Olympic hype at first, a bit, which was actually quite good, I think, because when you're in six mode. You can offer, it's hard to kind of stop and look around and take stuff in, um, and so it was really good to have that that training camp, get used to the heat, and um, just take take five and get used to the COVID stuff, and then going to the village. I think really cool. Um, the New Zealand team was awesome, and I think because the the village was quite restricted that. The New Zealand team was probably closer than at other games I've been to. Um, I guess we had more time to hang out together in our, um, the lobby of our apartment block. and um, Yeah, it was it was pretty cool when we finally managed to get into the village and we had our welcome and received our phone number and stuff. Um, that was all, all really
0: cool. What about the competition itself? Uh, you went into qualifying. You're in that Olympic Stadium. What was that moment like? Now you can officially call yourself an Olympian.
1: One of my goals, I did an Instagram post about this um, for the competition, but one of my really big goals was to go in and to throw with joy um, and to really enjoy the moment because I've been at quite a few national competitions and a few local competitions where I've just been so stressed and so caught up in how it's going to go that I look back and even if it went really well, I look back and I'm kind of like, oh, well, I enjoyed the attention that I got afterwards, but like, did I actually... Enjoy that petition Half the time I can't remember it Because it's this blur of stress and nerves and, and I was kind of like I'm at the Olympics And I'd hate to look back And to, to have the experience again And so yeah Just kind of went in Confident in myself um, And my sports like this really cool thing um, A couple of years ago That's always stuck with me And he said um, I'm bigger than the game But the game's bigger than me And so kind of going in Knowing that This is going to be A significant But a short part um, in the scheme of my life um, and that also in of the Olympics uh, I'm just going to be I'm just going to be a blip and so not, like kind of taking that pressure off and knowing knowing that it's awesome to be there um, but like make it your own and so yeah I think in the qualifying like I really nailed that and looking around at some of the other athletes I could definitely say they were a bit stressed or a bit tense um, and I think that's put me in really good stead to actually just go out and throw well because I'd had some awesome trainings leading up to it in the weeks before the training camp couldn't have gone much better really. And so, yeah, just kind of actually enjoying the moment. I'm really proud of kind of the, the energy and the attitude that I brought to that um, because at, at that big stage, that can be pretty tricky to do. And I think we often conflate seeing people have fun and enjoying themselves with them not taking it seriously, um, especially in high-performance sport. Um, if you have to go out there and look like a sad sack and look really serious, um, and that's not who you are as a person like why are you going to do that so yeah went out big smile on my face threw some bombs enjoyed it um yeah and so that qualifying really really enjoyed and then the final um I think it was a little bit of a different um atmosphere out there um Tom Walsh put it really well he said that it had all of the nerves of the big competition but not much of the excitement because it like there were no crowds and so and it's kind of when everyone's sitting there stewing in their own nerves And there's not really anything else to distract you That could permeate quite quickly Throughout the people in the field And so I went out there with that same attitude Of just throwing with joy Kind of just clear mind Go out and do what I've been training to do um, Yeah but I think I was a bit more tense and nervous And I think I picked up a bit of that, um, bit of that energy around me more than, I, uh, more than I thought I had at the time So it was probably a bit too tense out there in the throwing And didn't quite manage to to throw what I think I was worth but still I think it was my third best throw in the final ever so uh, and definitely my my best international results so to go out and do that at my first Olympics really really proud of that.
0: I remember something that that has stuck with me after speaking with you after that final uh, was something you said about your dad Dave Um, what does your dad mean to you and how special was it that he could be there when no one else could have family or friends?
1: It was so cool, and I'm so glad that he he was there in the stands with me Um, because this was the first New Zealand team that he's been included on as a personal coach, so every other competition I've been to, so Commonwealth Games, World Champs, um, he's kind of been um, a little bit on the outside and has often had to find his own accommodation and stuff like that, Um, and so to have him in the village with me first was so cool. Like, he got a uniform, and I remember when we got home, it comes in, he was wearing his blazer, and he was so chuffed, and it was just like the coolest feeling um, to, to see that he could experience that with me. Um, yeah, and so him in the village, he was just having the time of his life. He was just kind of eyes open at everything. And, um, yeah, was kind of chatting to lots of people. He, he was rooming with Nicholas's coach, Ronnie. So um, Ronnie's first time in, in the Games Village as a personal coach. So Ronnie, I think he had like 10 Olympians or something uh, but yeah, again, first time in the village. So they were roommates, and Ronnie is, I think, 80. And so he, um, so they were just having a good old time, like kind of chatting and uh, train spotters for athletics, and I just kind of swapping stories and having a really cool time. So just seeing them enjoy it, like I got a real kick out of that as well. Um, and he, he kept telling people, and this is quite a cool story, that um, he volunteered in the 72 Olympics in Munich. And so from the village... Um, in kitchens. And oh, you know, this is my second Gamesville but 50 years ago almost. And so um, it's pretty cool that 50 years on he gets part of it as a coach. So I don't think he would have ever imagined that, uh, that he would be there as a coach 50 years on. Um, yeah, and having him in the stands was really cool. As not many people are fortunate and have family. So to know that I had like a little poem with me was really cool.
0: That is such a cool and and a very special story, Juliet. Don't go anywhere. When we come back, we're going to talk about life outside of sport. You're listening to Trailblazers here on SENZ. You're listening to Trailblazers with Kirsty Stamway. Welcome back to Trailblazers here on ACNZ. We're talking with hammer thrower Julia Ratcliffe, who has just returned from the Olympic Games. Uh, Julia, a lot of professional athletes around the world they are full-time paid employees, but for our athletic stars in this country, that's not the case. Uh, you've also got a career of your own. So, tell us, what do you do for work?
1: Yeah, so I am an economist at the Reserve Bank of New Zealand. So. For those who don't know what the Reserve Bank does, um, we sit across the road from the Treasury in Wellington, and we are the guardians of the cash system. So we make sure that we have enough cash and coins um, going around the system, so the physical cash and coins, and we also um, look for the stability and soundness of the financial system and make sure that we have price stability in the economy to make sure that inflation isn't going crazy. Um, Yeah, so we... Um, We have a pretty good time at the bank, and they've been awesome supporters while I've been away. Um, I started in the grad program straight after the Commonwealth Games in the economics department, and I was there for 18 months full-time, and then I kind of told them going into uh, my job that I would be trying to go home to qualify for Tokyo, and they were supportive and put me on a part-time contract that was really flexible so I could work from home. Um, Yeah, and then COVID hit, and so For, um, I was probably one of the first people They actually let work from from remotely full time Um, And so they, uh, once COVID hit That meant that everyone was full time So obviously the infrastructure got up pretty quickly um, And that was quite good for me Um, And then because of COVID um, The games got pushed out a year And so I um, actually went back to the bank full time For three months over the winter down Wellington um, Just to take a bit of a break from training Because I knew that Doing another 16 months full-time training probably wouldn't work for me. Um, So I took some time off and then came back home for Tokyo 2.0 and started all that again. Um, So, yeah, it was working about a day a week for the bank uh, while I was training. And, yeah, they were just super inclusive. and made me feel like part of the team still. And it was so nice for me to have something outside of training um, to go to if training wasn't going very well. made me engage my brain a bit more than the average training session was. Um, Technical questions can be hard on the brain sometimes, but um, yeah, on average, like in between trainings, if you're just kind of resting or doing rehab, like your, your brain can often feel like it's turning to mush a bit. So, like, having to be able to switch it back on again was really good for me. Um, yeah, and just I guess during the games time, they've been awesome, like sending me heaps of messages of support and got a video from around the bank of people. So, they've just been so fun and um, yeah, just a really cool group of people to work with.
0: You talked earlier about balancing study at Princeton with your athletics career. How do you balance the two now that it's work and athletics?
1: Um, Yeah, I kind of, in off seasons, I'll often try and ramp up the work a bit. So I'll try and get down to Wellington, hang out in the office. Um, Yeah, just love hanging out with my workmates. And yeah, when it's time to ramp up again for competitions, back off on the work a little bit, um, obviously, really fortunate that. Um, I'm in an organisation that allows me to do that and has the flexibility to do that, I know not all professions, that's just not how they can operate, even if they wanted to I think I'm in a really fortunate position but kind of did my homework a bit and was really upfront and honest with my employers when I was going into it and so I guess advice for the athletes trying to do that um, would be if you are thinking of trying to get some work being really open with your the people that you're applying to and letting them know what you do because people are really excited to to have athletes working in organisation, we often can bring skills um, that people don't learn until much later in their career if they're not pursuing some sports at a high level. Um, yeah, like high levels of accountability and stuff like that, and being able to work by yourself and in a team. So yeah, I think just not underestimating that, and um, yeah, kind of playing on those skills when you are when you are looking for work.
0: You also mentioned uh, when you were at Princeton, some of the past pupils you're with have created charities. You're part of a charity called High Impact Athletes. So explain to us, what is it and what do you do? Yeah, I'd love to. So um, one of our recent medalists at the Games, Marcus Daniel, um,
1: um, in the tennis, he founded a, a charity called High Impact Athletes very recently. And I had um, just randomly on my own accord been doing a bit of reading and to kind of um, charities and what's out there and came across something called effective altruism, which is kind of people trying to do good in the world, but thinking about how to do it in the most effective way possible. And there's quite a few really intelligent people kind of working on these questions. Um, and so kind of through that, joined some Facebook group to kind of keep up to date with what's going on. And they posted a stuff article about this um, this charity that Marcus had founded. So I was like, oh, you know, athletes, that sounds like a bit of me. Um, so I got on the website and contacted him and said, like, hey, like, kind of knew this stuff, but really keen to get involved and think athletes have a really unique platform to, to do good from. Um, how can I get involved? And it's like, oh, great, you're my first response. And I was like, oh, I didn't quite realize because like, I, was, I was all brand new to this. So um, thought that he was quite established, but um, a very new venture for him, which was cool. So, um, yeah, he got involved with in that, and there's different levels that athletes can get involved in. And High Impact Athletes is basically trying to um, align athletes with highly effective charities. So, they've picked a handful of charities that they've identified around the world as the ones that get the most bang for their buck. And so, it's kind of like you can quantify almost like life saved per dollar um, which is pretty powerful and so um, the the top level of involvement that they're asking for is they're asking for athletes and because Marcus is in tennis which obviously has better income opportunities um, he's got quite a few tennis players involved and they're asking athletes to take a pledge to donate two percent of their income to highly effective charities each year And so I was like, well, I don't make much money out of hammer throwing almost negative dollars offset against my actual income from work. So, um, (laughs) but I thought, I had a chat to a couple of friends about it and they're like, well, nothing's stopping you from just donating 2% of your income. Um, And so, yeah, so I was like, you know what? If I'm I'm really going to miss that that 2%, I could probably cut my coffee consumption (laughs) um, and be fine. So, um, yeah, so it's quite cool because even athletes aren't earning a lot like it's a percentage of your income. So if you earn $10, um, you know, 2% is $2. So yeah, it's quite cool. Um, and other athletes have pledged kind of 1%. And some athletes are um, haven't done an income pledge, but they've just um, they've put their name forward to be ambassadors, either for high impact athletes to get the word out there or for other charities. So yeah, it's pretty awesome that um, someone's gone out there and said, like, look, I've earned a bunch of money through my sport. I've got a pretty big following on social media. I've got this platform that I can go and speak about issues that are really important to me. Um, I should do something about that. And Marcus has done that and more. And he's extending his reach by kind of galvanising other athletes and inspiring other athletes to do the same thing. And I'm a bit hesitant at first because they encourage you to kind of share your giving and share what you're doing. It can seem a bit like a history for Kiwis kind of turning your own horn a bit yeah. but there's actual research that says that if you share how much you're donating it gives other people a benchmark um, and it actually encourages people to donate more so um, yeah I thought that was pretty cool and so there's like actually quite a bit of evidence and research behind all the stuff they're doing which as a pretty analytical person that's important to me um, as athletes we get to, we get asked to put our name behind a lot of things mm. and it can be pretty hard to distinguish kind of what is worth putting your name behind like all the all the causes seem really good but sometimes you can do a lot of work and not really have an impact on the on the stakeholders you're trying to have an impact on so yeah like being part of an organization that is making sure they're doing it right they're being effective with their money um is really important to me and i think as athletes we kind of have a responsibility almost because we we do have this platform um and everyone has something that's important to them um, and it's just a matter of kind of letting other people know and you can always inspiring or kind of be involved. So I'm really, that's something I'm proud to be part of.
0: Okay. Um, we're going to get a little bit deep here, but in 10 years' time, what will you be doing? What will you have wanted to achieve, whether that's in sport or in life or your career? And who do you want to be remembered as?
1: Um, I really like something that Ash Barty out um, after Wimbledon which is she's really she wants to be a good person first and then a good athlete Um, and if those two things come into conflict it's always it's always be a good person first and I think in New Zealand and around the world we we hold up athletes as um, role models because of the things that they show us like hard work commitment all that stuff Um, but often athletes kind of don't sign up for that and so yeah it's quite interesting like some some of sports not some of our sports people but sports people some sports people in general could be really good at something not necessarily a good person um and so for me being a good person first and foremost is what I'd like to be remembered as Um, yeah and I think like again it's it's the qualities of of the athlete that you want to be remembered by like as my my sister and my mother constantly remind me like does anyone actually care how far I've thrown the hammer? Not really. Yeah. Like, it's a lump of metal that I'm spinning around in circles. Like, it's a bit ridiculous when, when you break it down in objective terms. Um, yeah, so I think just trying to live my life um, by a good moral compass um, is, yeah, not really sure in 10 years where I want to be, but, uh, yeah, I'd like to do a bit more travel overseas. Um, yeah, but. I think there's heaps of opportunities out there and I'm just kind of fil- tr- trying to filter um, which ones I think will best kind of serve um, my values. But yeah, I think just just trying to be a good person along the way is really important.
0: <laughs> Julia, I could talk to you for hours, uh, but we've got to leave it there. Thanks so much for joining us and thank you for listening to Trailblazers here on SCNZ. Chatting to the biggest Kiwi names in female sport, we'll be doing it all again right here next Tuesday.